This Family Life News Podcast is made possible by the support of listeners like you. It's the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Good Friday afternoon. Welcome aboard. There's a new twist in Putin's reign of terror in Russia. The most ardent critic of Vladimir Putin is dead. He's Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny, and he died today inside a Siberian prison. Many are calling it a political assassination. The 47-year-old Navalny was incarcerated 40 miles north of the Arctic Circle. Correspondent Richard Engel. This is not just any critic of the Kremlin. This is the most famous, most outspoken thorn in the side of Vladimir Putin. According to prison authorities, he went for a walk this morning, immediately began feeling unwell. He lost consciousness. He was given medical treatment. Attempts to revive him were unsuccessful. His death was confirmed by prison authorities, and Vladimir Putin has been made aware of his death. Uh, There will be many, however, who treat this with a lot of skepticism, especially after Vladimir Putin has been accused numerous times of having his political rivals assassinated. Navalny gained notoriety a decade ago when he ran for mayor of Moscow and exposed government corruption within Putin's inner circle. U.S. Secretary of State Tony Blinken. Fear of one man only underscores the weakness and rot at the heart of the system that Putin has built. Former State Department spokeswoman Morgan Ortega says no doubt that Putin had a hand in Navalny's demise. President Biden warned Putin a few years ago not to touch Navalny. But I think Putin is doing this because, number one, he has a long history of doing it. Uh, But also, number two, he thinks that he's going to be able to get away with it. Navalny survived an assassination attempt in 2020. The Kremlin says it has no information on the cause of his death. It's Judgment Day for Donald Trump, the judge overseeing his $370 million civil fraud trial, is expected to render a verdict today. Attorney Gene Hamilton with America First expects the ex-president will be found guilty. The key is going to be what happens on appeal throughout the New York court system. There is no way that this case survives. This case where no one was actually defrauded. This whole case is built on a house of cards, and it is going to eventually fail. Trump was sued by New York's Attorney General Tish James for allegedly inflating his real estate value in order to secure better loans. Things got heated inside an Atlanta courtroom at another Trump legal proceeding. It is a lie. It is a lie. That is Fulton County, Georgia District Attorney Fawny Willis, who lost her cool with the defense yesterday. No, no, no. This is the truth. I object to you getting records. You've been intrusive into people's personal lives. You're confused. You think I'm on trial. These people are on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020. Willis accused of having an affair with the prosecutor she named to investigate Trump for election interference. Here's Fox News legal analyst Greg Jarrett. The affair itself is a severe conflict of interest, an obvious impropriety, a violation egregiously of the canons of ethics. Trump's spokeswoman 
Congresswoman Carolyn Levitt. President Trump has long said that this case is a sham. It has no legal basis and it should be dismissed. And the entire world got to see that President Trump is 100 percent right. Trump's accused of pressuring public officials to find votes for him in Georgia, a state he lost to Joe Biden by less than 12,000 votes back in 2020. The special prosecutor investigating Hunter Biden has accused an FBI informant named Alexander Smirnov of making false statements about the Biden family business dealings. That informant's testimony is central to a GOP-led impeachment inquiry on Capitol Hill. According to the charging documents, Smirnov made false derogatory statements about the president and the president's son Hunter and their ties to Ukrainian energy company Burisma. Smirnov's accused of giving fabrications to the agents in the summer of 2020 as Mr. Biden was running for office, arguing that Burisma had bribed the president. Correspondent Scott McFarland charges will be filed today against two juveniles suspected in Wednesday's deadly shooting at a victory rally for the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Police are confident the shooting was not terrorism. Over 20 people got shot, most of them women and children. A Kansas City radio DJ and mother of two was killed. More than a year after that toxic train derailment, President Biden is finally visiting East Palestine, Ohio. He'll be there this afternoon. Reporter Linda Kenyon. White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre says the president is going at the invitation of the mayor. The president's going to hear directly from uh, the people of East Palestine. Uh, this is a trip that he has been wanting to make. Mr. Biden also will deliver remarks on how his administration is holding Norfolk Southern accountable for the derailment. Critics contend the White House is using this trip as a campaign event. We're tired of being used as political bling that you might wear around your neck, I guess. I think he's here because it's an election year and because he has to be here. Uh, I don't think he'd be here otherwise, unfortunately. East Palestine resident Rick Chai says a year after the train derailment, the water is still not safe. I took the media down last night, two miles south of the crash site in the park where children play, and I dig chemicals out of the bank and chemicals just flow into the creek. Uh, I'm walking through the creek as chemicals are flowing around my waders. It's disgusting, and we're being lied to, people of the world. President Biden due to arrive in East Palestine after 4 o'clock this afternoon. Israeli forces have raided a hospital in southern Gaza where Hamas terrorists held hostages. Correspondent Holly Williams has more from Jerusalem. Israel's also pressing ahead with plans to launch a ground assault in Rafah, where around one and a half million Palestinians are sheltering. Israel says it'll allow civilians to leave the battle zone, but the United Nations has warned an offensive could lead to a slaughter. A new study finds there are more overdose deaths from smoking drugs than from injecting drugs. The CDC based its findings on crime scene investigations and autopsy reports. Dr. Jody Altman with Kids Escaping Drugs says the prevalence of mental health issues combined with social media use is exacerbating the drug crisis. Technology has really gotten in the way of kids developing coping skills, resiliency skills. I think it's accentuated mental health issues. And when they don't know how to deal with the mental health issues, if they don't ask for help, 
they turn to substances. The substance abuse crisis comes as more states permit pot for recreational purposes. Nearly half the states in these United States have decriminalized marijuana. Well, brace yourself if you're planning on getting a bigger tax refund this year. Early data from the IRS show refunds so far are significantly smaller than they were this time last year. The average check, $1,395. That's about 29% lower. The IRS says the amount will likely change as more returns come in. That's because low to moderate income Americans who get the earned income tax credit or the child tax credit can't legally receive their refunds before mid-February. So they're not even counted yet. Correspondent Deborah Rodriguez. History on the hardwood. The University of Iowa's Caitlin Clark has broken the NCAA women's college basketball career scoring record. Caitlin Clark now has 3,528 points in her career. Clark sank a 35-foot three-pointer less than three minutes into the game last night to give her the record. I told some of my teammates and my coaches, like, if I got a chance in transition, I'm going to launch one. And honestly, I didn't know if it was going to go in because it was, it was a deep one, but then it goes in and Coach Woodard calls timeout. And I'm just thankful to be surrounded by these people. She finished the night with 49 points as number four Iowa beat Michigan. Clark unseats former University of Washington scoring machine Kelsey Plum to become the points leader in women's college basketball. Still to come on the Noon Report, gerrymandering, free fishing, and Thon is on tonight. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams going for a rare, decent winter sports weekend around these parts for those who want to get out and Playing some freshly fallen snow and brisk chilly air. We've got that. The detailed forecast is coming up. All right, Kevin, thank you very much. New York's Independent Redistricting Commission has redrawn the lines again. We're talking the state's congressional lines. Commission spokesman Charles Nesbitt says the new map, though, is not much different than the old one. It's important for us not to enter into the process of confusing people out there over where they were going to vote. You know, in some cases, had we made radical changes here, people would have voted in three different districts over three different consecutive Elections. The commission's Ken Jenkins insists that protecting incumbents did not play a role in the redistricting process. Our law requires us not to um, to check into consideration incumbency to favor or disfavor any particular candidate. It's a give and take process. Now all eyes are on the Democrat-controlled state legislature, which must sign off on the new look map. The biggest change in this map is in central New York, the 22nd congressional district of Republican Brandon Williams. That district now includes the cities of Syracuse, Utica, Auburn, and Cortland. It's a district that spans parts of five counties and gives Democrats a 30,000 vote majority. Congressman Williams, by the way, has been listed as one of the 10 most vulnerable House members in this year's election. The football field at Penn State could soon be renamed after a legendary yet controversial coach. Family Life, Sarah Harnish. Penn State trustees and high-ranking university representatives met in secret twice in January to discuss whether to name the football field at Beaver Stadium after former coach Joe Paterno. The board fired Paterno in 2011 during the fallout of the Jerry Sandusky child abuse scandal, and the NCAA vacated more than 100 wins from his record. The wins were later restored, and he holds the record for the most wins in NCAA football history with four. 409. Paterno was never charged. He died in January of 2012. 
Sarah Harnish, Family Life News. Thank you very much, Sarah. Farming is in danger in New York. The state's lost 2,700 farms, including 1,800 dairy farms the past five years. That's 40% of the dairy industry in the Empire State. Now, in addition, 350,000 acres of farmland has disappeared. It's likely due to the consolidation of smaller farms into one entity, and there may be some that have gotten out of the industry because it's very difficult, and it's seen a lot of financial hardship in the last few years. That is Emily Kenny with Spectrum News. And the loss of farmland likely comes from the development of housing. However, in New York, we hear a lot about solar developments on prime farmland, which is due to the fact that farmers can earn significantly more money by placing in those solar developments rather than using their land for cropland. Despite the loss of farms and farmland, agriculture is still the number one industry in the Empire State. It's the nation's third leading milk producer, second when it comes to apples, and no state makes more cottage cheese than does New York. Advocates for people with disabilities are pushing back against New York's new assisted suicide bill. The Medical Aid and Dying Act would allow terminally ill, mentally capable adults to end their own lives with a cocktail of pharmaceutical drugs. But advocates for people living with disabilities say the bill's safeguards are inadequate and they are concerned about people being pressured into the procedure. The Association on Independent Living says the disability community is deeply concerned about possible coercion and abuse and tracking the lethal medication once a prescription is filled. Jeremy Miller, Family Life News. If you need a sign that artificial intelligence is here to stay, well, Family Life's Greg Gillespie has it. The University of Pennsylvania this fall becomes the first Ivy League school to offer a degree in AI. A dean in the engineering school at UPenn says they will be training students for jobs that don't yet exist in fields that may be completely new or revolutionized by the time the students graduate. And it could be worth it to you to major in AI. The global news site Quartz says because of high demand and a scarcity of experts, competent engineers at OpenAI make over $800,000 a year. Greg Gillespie, Family Life News. Thank you, Greg. Free fishing is coming this weekend to New York, Saturday and Sunday. You don't need a license to fish. That's if you can brave the cold. Now, if you prefer to fish in warmer weather, the other free fishing days this year are at the end of June, in September, and on Veterans Day in November. In Pennsylvania, you can skip that $33 fishing license twice a year, the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend, and again on the 4th of July. Sports news next. It's the two-minute drill on Family Life. Good afternoon. I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, it was too much. Anthony Stolarz in Buffalo last night. He stopped all 45 shots the Sabres threw at him as Florida won its 10th consecutive game on the road. This one four zip over the Sabres. In the Big Apple, the Rangers extended their winning streak to six games after taking down the Canadiens 7-4. Montreal scored in the first to grab a 1-0 lead, but New York exploded for four goals in the second. Chris Kreider found the back of the net twice. Will Cooley and Mika Zibanejad also scored. In the third, Kreider completed the hat trick. Then Vincent Trochuk and Capokeko lit the lamp to round out the scoring. 
The Penguins snapped their three-game losing streak with a 4-1 win over the Blackhawks in Chicago. Sidney Crosby wasted no time in putting the Pens on the board. He scored 15 seconds into the contest. Crosby also scored again in the third period. Riley Smith and Brian Rust also found the back of the net. The Flyers unable to extend their winning streak. They fell in overtime to Toronto 4-3. Travis Sanheim, Garrett Hathaway, and Travis Konechny scored for Philadelphia. Also picking up wins were the Kraken, Ducks, Lightning, Kings, Blues, Stars, Sharks, and Canucks. In the NBA, Memphis, Golden State, and Minnesota were your winners. And in college hoops, there is a new all-time leading scorer in women's basketball. Caitlin Clark of Iowa broke Kelsey Plum's record of 3,527 points set back in 2017. Clark broke the record on a three-point shot that was from another zip code as she led Iowa to a 106-89 victory over Michigan. That is a look at sports. Thank you, Randy Madden. Still to come on the Noon Report, the fallacy of safe abortions. Why sports betting is a bad bet and what it means to be a Christian activist in the year 2024. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Chuck Colson often said that Christianity is more than a relationship with Jesus. Well, it isn't less than that, to be sure. One of the most amazing things about God's posture toward us is that he not only reveals his will, he reveals himself, especially in Christ Jesus. And he relates to us and with us personally, loving us, forgiving us, leading us. But while Christianity is personal, it is not private. It makes claims about all of reality, most notably that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Christianity cannot be reduced to some therapeutic or pragmatic formula. It is to be lived out publicly, too, which is another way of saying that followers of Christ have to embrace that Jesus Christ is Lord over all of reality. Chuck Colson founded the Colson Center to help Christians cultivate this kind of robust, comprehensive Christian worldview so that the challenges of this cultural moment, which are serious, could be understood and could be engaged from the bigger story of reality that's described in Holy Scripture. Colson Fellows, in particular, learn to take their place in this story through biblically grounded cultural analysis, by discerning how to live with Christian wisdom and courageous faith, and by effectively advancing the kingdom in the times and places where God has put them. Recently, I asked Michael Craven, Vice President of Equipping and Mobilization at the Colson Center, to describe what the Colson Fellows Program is really like. Here's Michael. It's a 10-month program, begins July 1st every year. It concludes in May of each following year. Students are led through a very carefully curated curriculum that they access through an online learning management system. So every day they're logging in, they have assignments, they complete those assignments. The next morning they wake up and they've got new assignments. And then they're meeting any monthly cohort with fellow learners and they're discussing what they're learning, what they're reading, what they're viewing. They're assigned about 13 to 14 books to read over the course of these 10 months. And at the end of that 10-month program, they don't graduate. They receive a commission as a Colson Fellow. And that is very deliberate because the program does not end. It is a commencement. It is a beginning. The goal is to send you out on mission with a deeper understanding of the times in which we live and how you can live faithfully in those times. 
Well, during this 10-month program in a community-based learning environment, Colson Fellows, to put it mildly, cover a lot of ground. Again, here's Michael Craven describing the scope of the topics. We want to talk about the things that are confronting us in such a overwhelming and seemingly virulent manner at times, such as the controversy and confusion over gender identity, the controversy and confusion over human sexuality. What is right? What is wrong? What is moral? What is good? Why is it good or why is it wrong? We want to talk about marriage, God's design for marriage, and why it is not just a a moral good, but it is a real social social good, a real cultural good. Applications are currently being accepted for next year's class of Colson Fellows. To learn more about the program, go to colsonfellows.org. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Thank you very much, John. Outside next, meteorologist Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast. The call for this afternoon, clouds, sunny breaks, flurries, some localized lake snow, high temps ranging in the 30s. Tonight's snow will spread across Pennsylvania, especially south of Route 6 overnight into tomorrow morning. Elsewhere, otherwise, variable clouds with flurries. Watch for lake snows southeast of Lake Erie in Ontario with a few inches. Low temps tonight, 20s. We move little in temperatures tomorrow. And Sunday, watch for some lake snow between Buffalo Buffalo and Rochester, otherwise clouds, sun and flurries, high temps, mid-20s to mid-30s. Thank you, Kevin. Great work at the Weather Center. It's Friday, folks, February 16th, and this is the Noon Report on Family Life. Welcome back to another edition of Capital Connection. Fridays during the Noon Report, we give you direct connection to what's happening in Albany and Harrisburg with the experts on the issues at the state capitals. They are, as always, Michael Gear at the Pennsylvania Family Institute and Jason McGuire at New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. Well, guys, welcome back to the program. Michael, I want to begin with you and talk about the abortion issue because that is a big issue in the Commonwealth these days. You know, years ago, Bill Clinton coined a famous phrase saying, keep abortion safe, rare, and legal. Well, two of those three aren't true anymore in your state. Every day, about 100 abortions are performed in the state's 18 abortion clinics. More than half of them failed inspections last year. So forget about the rare and safe component of this. I wanted to ask you, how will these stats change if the PA House gets its way with its abortion legislation this year? Well, let me say right off the bat, I didn't believe Bill Clinton back when he said uh, that safe, rare, and legal, that yeah. he really meant that anyway. But uh, what we see here in Pennsylvania, the House Democrats really want to remove any restrictions on the abortion industry. We know anytime a pregnant woman goes into an abortion clinic, that baby is definitely at risk and likely to not leave alive. Uh, but as we had happened here in Pennsylvania with uh, lax regulations in the Kermit Gosnell scandal, we saw women die as well. Mm-hmm. And now House Democrats 
Democrats are calling for removal of those regulations. They want to have abortion up until birth and to try to put pregnancy resource centers out of business. So that whole notion of safe, legal, and rare that Bill Clinton talked about is not what the Democratic Party is all about now. Yeah, gotcha. Well, hey, when we talk about the sanctity of human life issue, Jason, we mean all stages of life from conception to natural death. And this year in New York, there is going to be a big battle when it comes to assisted suicide. They call it medical aid in dying now, but it's assisted suicide. I couldn't believe the YouGov poll that came out last week showing over 70 percent of New Yorkers support doctor assisted suicide. Maybe it's that high. I don't know. But does a poll like that surprise you? And how much leverage does that give lawmakers in deciding to go forth with legislation like this? Yeah, I saw that poll as well. And one of the first things I do is I look at the language that the pollster uses when you see numbers like that. And so the term that was used was medical aid in dying or made, which is the technical term uh, being used on the bill this year. But they do not use the term assisted suicide because the term assisted suicide, uh, describing what this actually is, tends to bring those poll numbers down. That being said, we shouldn't forget that we are living in a post-Christian era, and it is uh, an increasingly difficult argument to understand for many people why we're so opposed to assisted suicide, and we see it as a violation of the sanctity of human life. So the Christian community needs to keep up the fight against assisted suicide. And you're going to be talking about this at your big rally coming up next month. We'll get to that in a minute, Jason. But first, Michael, back to Harrisburg. Governor Shapiro saying recreational marijuana is going to generate about a quarter billion dollars a year in revenue for the Commonwealth. He is uh, full steam ahead on this. You argue the societal costs are going to far outweigh those economic gains. How so? Well, you know, we need only to look at the experience in states that have already legalized commercial sale of marijuana. One of the first was Colorado, and an in-depth study there shows that for every tax dollar raised through the sale of marijuana, the cost in dealing with the resulting problems is more than $4.50. What are those problems? Well, traffic fatalities increasing because of DUIs, hospitalizations because of the high potency, upwards of 90% THC in vapes and candies aimed at young people, and then with young people using a mental health crisis, psychosis and schizophrenia are growing rampant. And then crime and cartels. Governor Shapiro says we'll raise all these millions of dollars. That means high tax levels on it, which means cartels can come in and sell under the table black market marijuana at a lower price, and that increases crime. Gotcha. Jason, you said something earlier that was kind of interesting. Post-Christian culture. We use that word a lot in the news because we you know, we see it all the time, how what's right is wrong now and what's wrong is right. But part of uh, your effort at Legislative Day next month is to teach Christians how to be effective activists in the year 2024. What does effective Christian activism look like nowadays? Well, I think a shift has occurred in the culture. Everyone has become their own authority. They are not putting as much weight in various leaders of movements. It's become a very individualized and personalized movement. Hmm. And we're seeing that reflected in our political body in activism. And people are much more active, activist-oriented than they were even a few years ago. What's important for us is to understand what biblical citizenship is and really what it means to be able to stand up and represent the cause of Christ and biblical principles in a way that is honoring to him 
but still is communicating to our elected officials how we feel about the issues. And that's one of the things we want to focus on is our tone and our tenor, how to winsomely, articulately, and persuasively win the arguments of the day in various public policy positions. All right. Can't wait. There's information soon on your website on that, the Legislative Day event coming up. We'll be talking more about it in the weeks ahead. But guys, let's talk about special elections for a minute because there have been several of them and there will continue to be several of them. And in your state, Michael, uh, there have been six in the past year. All of them have gone to Democrats. There was one this week, not a surprise, Bucks County. There's going to be another one in April to fill a seat uh, that uh, Joe Adams has left vacant. So the Republicans are 0 for 6 in special elections. What are Democrats doing right? What are Republicans doing wrong when it comes to these sorts of votes? Well, um, Pennsylvania Republicans are still not quite used to the notion of a mail-in voting, uh, which the Democrats have used to their advantage very significantly. But really, in the 0 for 6 here in Pennsylvania, those seats uh, pretty much uh, across the board were Democrat majority districts. So not big surprise. Mm -hmm. Um, But nevertheless, we see signs the mail-in voting is having an impact on these elections. Gotcha. Well, there was a special election in downstate New York this week, Jason, that garnered national attention. This, of course, was the Tom Suozzi-Mazzi pill-up race to fill the seat left vacant by former Congressman George Santos. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Suozzi won that by about eight points, which, by the way, was the margin of victory that Joe Biden had over Donald Trump in that district back in 2020. Question to you, sir. How worried should Republicans be here? Well, I think Republicans should always be worried. You know, uh, one, we are a blue state. It also um, is an indicator that maybe the suburbs are not as with them as some might think. A couple of things came into play, though. This was a district uh, where it was a special election, so there was a relatively low voter turnout. I would also say that there was a snowstorm on Election Day, the worst they've had in some times, that no doubt impacted turnout for Republicans. Democrats have gotten very good about mailing in their votes, early voting, and I think the Republican Party is going to have to catch up to what is the law of the land. The third thing I'd say in this race is that maybe the migrant issue isn't going to be as large an issue as some Republicans might think. It's still the economy and the pocketbook. Republicans can learn from this race. Gotcha. Well, Michael, the governor continues to hint that he supports school choice, calling uh, last summer's failed voucher program unfinished business. But do you think he's serious about supporting school choice, or is he just paying lip service to Republicans here? I think lip service is the exact right term to use in this case. He doesn't have any money in the budget for it. He talks about it. He says, you know, he likes it and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of putting the money where his mouth is, that's not happening. Gotcha. Well, guys, let's talk a bit about uh, mobile sports betting. Of course, the Super Bowl recently concluded. It's like you can bet on just about everything nowadays. And Congressman Paul Tonka, Jason, the Albany area, says enough already. He wants to ban advertising for mobile sports betting. I saw a stat that just blew me away. Eight in ten high schoolers have placed a bet in the last year. These are high school kids that are doing this. How bad of a problem is sports betting in New York? It's a huge problem. You know, we're seeing a 26% addiction increase since we legalized mobile sports betting. You know, when you hear from elected officials, all the money that's coming into the state is a result of this, but they're not measuring the impact in real lives. You cannot watch a game today without being really propagandized into this form of predatory gambling. Uh, It's happening and is a problem in our state. Unfortunately, I see both parties pretty intent on just the dollars they're taking into the coffers, not thinking about the people that are being impacted. All right, and guys, we are out of time this week, uh, but if you have any question about any of the 
issues discussed on today's program or if you want more information about Legislative Day coming up soon in Albany. Jason, where can folks find out more online? NewYorkFamilies.org. And stay informed on all the issues in Pennsylvania as well, Michael. You have a wonderful website, sir. What is that? PAFamily.org. Guys, great show today. It's called Capital Connection, and it comes your way every Friday during the Noon Report or online anytime at FamilyLife.org. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. The call for this afternoon, clouds, sunny breaks, flurries, some localized lake snow uh, southeast of Lake Ontario. High temps ranging in the 30s. Tonight's snow will spread across Pennsylvania, especially south of Route 6 overnight into tomorrow morning. A few inches could accumulate in areas south of I-80. Elsewhere and otherwise, variable clouds with flurries. Watch for lake snows southeast of Lake Erie in Ontario with a few inches. Low temps tonight, 20s. We move little in temperatures tomorrow. And Sunday, watch for some lake snow between Buffalo and Rochester and up to the north country of New York. Otherwise, clouds, sun, and flurries. High temps, mid-20s to mid-30s. All right, Kevin, thank you. Finally, at noon this weekend is for the kids in Happy Valley, Family Life's Brian Query. Perhaps the biggest event of Penn State University spring semester gets underway today as THON begins at 6 p.m. tonight before concluding at 4 p.m. Sunday. The 46-hour no-sitting, no-sleeping event will keep 708 student dancers and far more volunteers on their feet inside the Bryce Jordan Center all weekend long. Penn State's THON is annually recognized as the largest student-run philanthropy event in the world as it aims to raise millions of dollars to fight pediatric cancer by supporting the Four Diamonds Fund at Penn State Health Children's Hospital in Hershey. Brian Query, Family Life News. All right, dancing the weekend away down there in Happy Valley. Hope they raise a lot of money, too. Thank you, Brian. And that's the world we live in, folks. Friday, February. Sixteenth. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this Family Life News podcast. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, please share it with others and click the subscribe button to automatically receive future episodes. Family Life is a listener-supported ministry. Podcasts like this are made possible by your financial partnership. Find out more at familylife.org.